Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. If you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. We are glad that you are with us. And I, I do want to just reiterate what Chuck said in the beginning, um, that we are having a picnic right after the service this morning. And if, if you're new, if this is your first Sunday here and you had no idea we were going to have a picnic, or, or maybe you've been coming for many months and you had no idea we are having a picnic, uh, that's okay. We'd love to have you come uh, regardless. So uh, please feel free to do that. We would love to see you. Well, this morning, uh, we are in Psalm 143, 143. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can follow along in your order of service. Uh, This is the last of the six penitential psalms in the Psalter. It's also the last of David's lament psalms. And it's also the last psalm of our summer psalms for this summer. So uh, next week, we'll start a new series looking at the New Testament book, 1 Peter. And Lord willing, uh, in future... Uh, summers, we'll return to the Psalter, uh, to the Psalms. We, we still have, oh, I don't know, about 120 or so to go before we get through them all. So, so Lord willing, we'll be back in it next week. But this morning, we're going to conclude our summer Psalms with Psalm 143, a lament Psalm of David in which he is crying out to God for help, for need. So let's read a Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God and our King, it is your mercy that we are in need of this morning. Your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning, and so we ask to be restored again by your mercy, by your grace. We ask that you would open our eyes and you lead us in the way that we are to go, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to think when, whenever you are in need, whenever you have a concern or a worry, a trouble, what is the one thing that you're wanting? Obviously, it's to have that need relieved, but in the process of getting that relief, um, oftentimes what we need is someone who can hear us, who can listen, who can actually respond to our need and bring relief to us. I mean, think about it. You get the bill in the mail from the doctor. The insurance company didn't process your appointment correctly, and so you have to call the insurance company, right? 
and you're hoping to find someone on the other line who can help you. Or it's tax season and you're filling out your taxes and you have one last question before you can file and so you, you find that 800 number and you call the IRS hoping that maybe someone will pick up. Or your computer's on the fritz and you call that tech genius and hope someone will be able to help you. Right? That's what we're hoping. We dial that number and we're hoping that someone will be on the other line to help us in our need. Whatever it is, whether it's great or small, whether it's things like insurance bills or taxes or tech needs, we're hoping that there's someone who can help us. But we know that when we call those 800 lines, that often what we find isn't someone who says, how may I help you? But we hear that automated phrase, thank you for calling. Your call is important to us. Please stay on the line and your next, our next available associate will be with you. Those are, the words we, those are the last words we are wanting to hear, right? We didn't want to hear that automated voice because we know that in a second that terrible music is going to kick on and we're going to have to sit there and, and before long the music will be interrupted and we'll hear that automated phrase again. Please stay on the line. Your call is important to us. This goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes and sometimes even hours, right? We sit there and we're listening to that awful music and maybe we'll be able to do something else while it's on speakerphone. But, but we know that we're going to end up waiting. And if you're like me, sometimes in the midst of your frustration of having to wait, of being put on hold, you, you, you slam the phone down or I guess you can't really slam your iPhone down. You just hit the end really hard, right? And, and you decide, I'm going to solve the problem myself. Because those people who are supposed to be there for me in my time of need to answer my question, to help me with my question, well, they're busy serving other people. They're busy helping others. You, you know what this is like. We've, we've all experienced this. And I wonder if our experience of this has colored at all our experience of prayer with the Lord. I wonder if when we go to our Lord in prayer, whatever our need might be, whether it's big or small, whether it, it feels monumental or very minute, I wonder if when we go to our Lord in prayer, if sometimes we feel like he's put us on hold. Like we cry out to him in our need, whatever that need might be. Maybe, maybe it's the need for a new job. Maybe it's a, a relational need in our family. Maybe, maybe it's a, a physical need in, in regards to our body. And, and we cry out to him, but, but it feels like maybe he's not really listening. I mean, you've been there before, haven't you? Wondered that? I imagine David wondered that from time to time. I mean, think about the course of his life, right? It wasn't all riches and glory, right? He was running for his life and hiding out in caves. Surely at times he had to have wondered, God, do you remember your promises? God, are you listening? Can you hear me? We know what that's like. And so maybe we start to wonder, well, if all these other people in our lives who are supposed to be helping us, if they can just brush us aside, then maybe God does too. I mean, what are my needs in compared to cancer or war? Maybe God puts us on hold. Have you ever wondered that? I imagine that we all have from time to time. And yet this psalm, David's very words... Invite us to resist that temptation not to cry out to God. Invite us not to, 
to believe that God puts us on hold, but instead that we are to come with confidence before him with our needs. That we are to cry out to him. I mean, that's what David does. We've read that enemies are threatening him, that, that he is in significant need. And what does he do? He doesn't call for the soldiers. He doesn't call for those to come to give him aid. He calls out to God in verse 9. He says, I have fled to you for refuge. God is my refuge. He is my strength. He is the one that we cry out to. David cries out to him. He prays to him. And what does he pray? He prays and asks God to hear him. God, you are my refuge. Hear me. That's how the psalm begins. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. David's asking God to hear him. To hear specifically his need. Now, now we don't know the circumstance of this situation. We don't know what's causing David to write this psalm. It could have been when maybe David was fleeing from King Saul. And he was hiding out in those caves. Maybe it was when his son Absalom rose up and tried to stage a coup against him. Or maybe it was one of the other countless times that David was on the run and his life was in jeopardy. We don't know the situation that precipitated this psalm. But what we do know is that David is in great need. Those who hate him are attacking him. I mean, look what he says in verse 3. They're pursuing me. My soul is crushed. Verse 4, my spirit faints within me. Verse 7, my spirit is failing. David's coming to the end of himself. Maybe he even thinks that the death is approaching. That's why he invokes that image of the pit. Right? Hide not your face in verse 7. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit, to the pit, the place of death. And in the midst of this need, David calls out to God. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't minimize what he's experiencing. He doesn't say, well, God is omniscient, so I don't even need to pray. He knows what I'm going through. No, David doesn't say any of those things. Instead, he cries out honestly to God about what he is experiencing, about his feeling, about what he's going through. You know, as I read through this prayer, it makes me wonder if, if our prayers look like this. I mean, are our prayers filled with this kind of language? My soul is troubled, is weighed down. Are, are our prayers filled with the honest expression of pain? Are they filled with begging for relief? Or are they instead filled with stoic, pious-sounding platitudes? <laughs> you know, religious-sounding language. Or do we even pray at all? Do we hold our tongue, thinking God's really not concerned? That's not what David does. He cries out. He cries out to God about what he is going through. He's in pain. He's in need. He needs refuge and care. Now listen, this, this crying out, it's not complaining against God. You see, that's the... The difference between lament and complaint, there, there's a whole school of interpretive thought that only that calls all the laments complaints. That, that the psalmist is just complaining to God and complaining about their situation. But the difference between complaint and lament is that complaint assigns God blame. Lament, lament looks for God to help. 
See, that's what David is doing. He's being honest about his situation. He's being honest about his pain, but he's being honest to the one who can help him. Lament is an expression of trust. Look at verse 6. What David says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. He's not complaining against God. He is looking to God to help him. The French theologian John Calvin, talking about this exact verse, verse 6, he said this, he said, We are taught by David's example not to throw up the conflict in despair, however much we may be weakened, but instead we are to rise to God with our hearts amid all our anxieties. We are to give our hearts to him. We're to stretch out our hands to him because in telling God our need, we are asking for our ultimate need, and that is him. We're asking for more of him. You see, our situations and our circumstances, they should drive us to deeper dependence upon God. That's why we cry out to him because he is the only one who can help us. He is the one that we ultimately need. And so we ask God to hear our prayers to hear our cries of need, but also we ask him to hear these prayers according to his character. Look at verse 11. David says, For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Now, there are two things in this verse that are related to God's character. The first is his name. His name. David says, For your namesake. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? For your namesake, deliver me. Now, why why does he invoke God's name when he's crying out in his need? Well, it's because God's name is tied to his promises. So think about Exodus, right? When God is up on the mountain with Moses, he reveals himself to Moses, and he says, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to rescue them. Go back and tell them I'm going to free them from slavery. And he says, tell them, I am sent you, my name. Tell them Yahweh is coming to to, uh, go to battle against Egypt. Tell them Yahweh is coming to rescue them. What God is doing there is he is linking his name to his promise. And it's not just the promise of this one deliverance out of Egypt, but God links his name to all of his promises. Promises they made to David, like your throne is an eternal throne. That your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. God stakes his reputation on his very promises. His name is applied to them. You see, in David's deliverance, God would be made much of. That's the first thing we see about God's character, the significance of his name. But the other thing we see is his righteousness. We saw it in verse 11, but also in verse 1. David says, in your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. We see what David's doing here? You see what he's not doing? He's not saying, God, deliver me, save me, because I'm a really good king. He's not saying, God, save me and deliver me because I've been a good father or a good husband. We know that ain't true. (laughs) He's not saying, save me because I'm the model Israelite. He's not listing off his CV of good deeds. Did, Did you notice that? I wonder if that's how we approach God. Like, if, if sometimes we come to him, we, we know better than to actually say it out loud, but I wonder if internally we come to God and we think, well, well, God, grant me 
uh, a good meeting this afternoon, a good presentation, because I was in the Word this morning. I was in the Bible, so, so help me this. I mean, look how great I am, how pious I am. Right, God, I go to church, so heal my relationships. I tithe, so give me that job that I want, right? Like, I mean, we know better than to say that out loud, right? But I wonder if that's our posture oftentimes when we approach God in prayer. If that's what's in the back of our minds, look at all that I have done. Now, won't you reward me? Won't you give me what I deserve? You know what? David doesn't do that. David doesn't do it because he knows himself too well. Look what he says in verse 2. No one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before you. It actually sounds a lot like Romans 3, doesn't it? In fact, Luther called this a Pauline psalm (laughs) because of that. Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David doesn't put forth his own good deeds because he knows he has no good deeds to put forth. He knows that there isn't enough good deeds that he could ever do to warrant God's ear. And so he doesn't come before him with his list of good things that he has done because he knows that all that he can do is throw himself at the mercy of God. And that's the same for us. As the hymn that we sang last week so poignantly said, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness answer me. According to your good name give ear to my pleas for mercy. And because of who God is, because of his character, he does. He does. David is so sure of this that in verse 12 he says, In your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Did you notice those are future tense? It's not present. He doesn't say, you have done this. He says, you will do this. Just like what Andrew mentioned last week. David is so sure of God's promises and of his character that he can say this will happen. I am guaranteeing it. I know that it will happen because of who God is. Deliverance may not come in the darkness of night or the dawning of the morning, but it will come. That God's name, his character, it assures us of it. It assures us that our need and our pain and our hurt, it is not the end. It is not the end. God promised to David that his throne would never end and his kingdom would be eternal. And he has promised to us through his son that we will never perish. Do you remember what Jesus said about his people? He said, I give to them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of his hand. We know that that is sure because of what Christ has done, because of who God is. God's character is so great that he would actually give of his son to make sure that promise is sure, so that we would know that our need and our pain and our hurt is not the end. I mean, think about all that Christ has done. That he died for the unrighteous, 
That he died for me? And he died for you? That he died for rebellious people? That he would go through all of that, and do we think, and how can we then think he would not hear us? That he would go through all of that to bring salvation, to ensure eternal life for his people. How can we not be sure that he will hear us when we cry out to him? He hears you. Do not hold your tongue. Do not think that you, your needs, your worries, your cares and concerns, that they are too small for God. He hears your cries. He does so according to who he is. And so knowing this, we, we call out to him. But our calling out doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with us asking God to hear us. We also ask to hear God. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if God is our ultimate need, we need him to lead us, to show us the way that we are to go. So we ask to hear from God. And what do we hear? Well, we hear his labor. Look at verse 5. I need to turn, sorry. Verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. David looks to the past to find comfort because in looking to the past, he hears all that God has done. It's interesting, isn't it, how frequently the Psalms invoke the past works of God? Have you all noticed that? Like, it seems like they're, they're, they're constantly saying, remember what God has done. Remember how he led us by his hand. Remember how he led us through the desert. Remember how he gave us the land. Remember the promises, right? The Psalms are just filled with turning us back to what God has done over and over again. But it's not just the Psalms. The Old Testament's filled with this return. Remember. And so too is the New Testament. I mean, you just look at the book of Acts and, and the different sermons of Peter and Paul. And what are they constantly doing? Don't you remember what God did for his people? Have you not heard his promises? They're constantly pointing us back to the greatest act of God's deliverance, his son. Do not forget the cross. Do not forget what Jesus has done. We're constantly being returned to God's past acts of labor, his past works of deliverance. To quote Calvin again, the very best method in order to obtain relief in trouble when we are about to faint under it, is to call to mind the former loving kindness of the Lord. Remember his labors, because in remembering his labors, we hear of his love. And that's what David says in verse 8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. You see, friends, every single morning, I need to hear of the steadfast love of the Lord. Every single day, we need to hear that his love never ends. Every single morning as we rise and every single evening as we lay our heads down, we need to hear God's love never fails. We need to hear his labor and his love to remember because in remembering his labor and his love, we are what one theologian called creatively borrowing from the past as a template for what we hope for the present. To remember the past is to reshape the present with desire and hope. You see, what God has done, his labor and his love, we ask to hear it again and again because as we hear it, we are told even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our questions, even in our worries, he has not failed. 
We hear that again because we know he has not failed in the past. And so he will not fail in the present and he will not fail in the future. His labor and his love, it gives us hope in the midst of hurt. But we don't end there. We don't only hear of his labor and his love, but we also hear of his leading. Three times we hear of his leading in this psalm. In verse 8, David says, make me know the way I should go. In verse 10, he says, teach me to do your will. Again, in verse 10, he says, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. He says, make me know. Teach me. Lead me. David's asking for guidance. David's saying, when difficulty arises, make me know your way. When temptation ensues, teach me your will. When I am at the crossroads of my life, lead me on level ground. Now listen, I can't tell you, we don't have time to go through the myriad of questions we all are bringing into this place. We don't have time to go through all the different instances of, of worry and of concern, of hurt and of pain. We, we don't have time to go through them all. And even if we did, there would just be more and more tomorrow. But what I can tell you is that in, the, in our need and in our trial and in our difficulty, we have to ask for God's ways. We have to ask God to lead us by his spirit. And the good news is that God does. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples as he was preparing to leave them? As he was preparing to go away and they were afraid, they were worried. He was saying, I'm, I'm going to go to my death and I'm going to rise again and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but have no fear. Because as I go away, I will send my spirit. My spirit, my Holy Spirit, who will bring to remembrance all that I have said. See, the spirit has been given to us to guide us into truth. The same spirit that David asks to give leading along level ground is the same spirit that Jesus has given to us. That leads and directs our ways so that we are never alone. He he brings to mind, to remembrance, all that Christ has said. He takes Christ's word and he guides us in the path that we are to go. God leads us. He directs our paths. He does not leave us to ourselves. And so we ask God. We ask him to allow us to hear his labor, his love, his leading. You know, when... When I think about every time that I get put on hold and every time I hear that awful automated voice, I think every single time, if only I knew the manager, <laughs> if only I knew the CEO, if only I knew the name of some big wig and I could just whisper the name and magically I'd get a direct line to the person I need to talk to, right? That, that's what goes through my head. It makes me remember when, when Cole was a baby he was, Cole once was little, believe it or not, but when Cole was a little baby, he, he had these awful, terrible ear infections. It, it was way worse than any of our other kids. Our, our girls, for some reason, didn't seem to have them, but Cole could not shake them. They kept coming back and back and back. And so we go to the pediatrician, to the doctor, and she would prescribe antibiotics, and they'd go away for a time, but they kept coming back. And after a while, the pediatrician said, we, we need to put tubes in his ears. 
And so she gave us, you know, some different ENTs, some different doctors to look into, but we, we started to explore on our own. We started to look up who are the different ENTs in our area, who are the uh, audiologists, is it audiologists or autologists? It's whichever one, the, the surgeon person. We, we started looking up the, that, that person who could do this for us and come to find out the, the very best ENT. The very best surgeon in our area was less than a mile from our house. But we knew that if we just picked up the phone and we called him, if we just cold called his office, there's no way we're getting through. Right? I mean, we're just going to have to wait and wait and wait. And, and the little man's going to keep being in pain for days and maybe even weeks. Right? We're just going to have to wait because he's the best in the area. So there's no way we're getting in. We knew that. But I also knew that this, was, this surgeon was a guy that I used to meet about once a month for lunch. <laughs> and so because I knew him, I could pick up the phone and I could just say my name. And I had direct access to his calendar. And I didn't have to wait. And we didn't have to worry. And the little man could go and he could get those little tubes put in his ears. And the relief and the pain, they would all be no more. I had direct access to the people that we needed, to the person that we needed. And friends, if you are in Christ this morning, that is the kind of access that you have to the king of the universe. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that because of Christ's death and his resurrection, because of his grace, he has become our high priest. And because he is our high priest, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. See, people of God, in our time of need, we can draw near to the king. In our time of need, he does not brush us aside. In our time of need, he invites us, he beckons us, he calls us to confidently come before him because of Christ, to come into his throne room, crying out to him to hear us and asking to hear him. And so let us do so now. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we do thank you for your grace that you have shown to us. The grace of your Son, our Lord Jesus, who has gone before us, who has made a way, who has called us into your throne room of grace. And so we come confidently, not because of our works, boldly, not because of what we have done, but because of Christ. And We declare to you all of our needs. We have said them with our lips. We have echoed them in our minds. They fill our hearts, and we know that you hear them. And so we ask for you to hear them again. We ask that you would allow us to hear your voice of leading, that you would allow us to hear again of your labor and your love and your spirit's guiding. So then all that we do, we would trust you and love you and depend upon you, our God and our King. And we pray this in the name of Christ and God's people said together, Amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward and we'll take this morning's offering.